When the trail grows fainter and your path uncertain, climb on. When the rocks become sharper and tear at your feet, climb on. When rain clouds threaten and the fierce winds howl, climb on. When the air grows thin and each breath takes more effort, climb on. When the crowds turn back and the path becomes lonely, climb on. When your faith is pushed to its ultimate limit, climb on. That's right, my friend, climb on. A reward awaits for all those who refuse to give up, for all those who reach the summit. Life Trails, take the next step. So I'm not Brent today. Today I'm Chris. And uh, I was born and raised in Indiana. So uh, as you can guess, I have a lot of experience with mountains. I thought I saw a mountain once in Indiana, and I got really excited, and I realized it was the clouds. You know how they can do that in the horizon. I remember my first time I, I saw mountains I was uh, in in high school, and I went on this trip with um, the the campus life. We went out to Colorado, and I remember sitting in the front. I just couldn't wait to see the mountains. And I sat in front, and I just watched, you know, when you're driving through Kansas and Nebraska. And it gets rolly. You're like, are those mountains? No, no. And, uh, And I remember... I fell asleep, and I woke up, and it was dark, and they're like, we're in the mountains, and I'm like, I can't see anything. Anyway, we went, one of the things we did on the trip is we went mountain biking, and um, that was really hard. The air's really thin. I remember getting up to the top, and, and, and you could see for miles, and we could drink out of the stream, at least we did, the, the guy we were with said it was okay. And then coming down the mountain, that's the, the fun part if you've done mountain biking. That's the part you're, you, you've been working hard for. And man, I just took off, you know. I just, gravity, what's that? And um, I remember at one point I am wildly out of control. And I see a tree coming. And I'm like, you know, when those things happen, when you know bad things are happening, Time slows down, and you think you can do something, but really you're just a spectator in the, in the pain that's about to ensue in your life. And I flew over the handlebars, and I hit this tree head-on. Of course, I had a helmet on, right? And the bike was started careening down towards the river, and, and I, I hit that tree, and you hear everything just crunch. Your back, your neck, everything. And, and then I tumble down, and I catch myself on the ravine, and I'm just laying there. And I'm literally thinking, I've broken my neck, I've broken my back, this is it. This is it for me. And, and of course, the people I were with were much more experienced, and they let me go down first because they knew that I was dangerous. Um, and they were right. And, and I'm thinking, somebody will catch up to me. And I waited there, not moving. It seemed like forever. My guess is it was five minutes. And no one caught up with me yet. And I'm like... Okay, so you do the wiggle your toes, right? Okay, that's good. You wiggle your everything. I get up, and my helmet had blown off, and it had this big divot in it. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. 
So I slapped that thing back on, and I hopped. I, you know, it was one of those, you, you hold the ground, and I throw the bike up, and you climb up a little more, and you throw the bike up. And I got on the, back on the trail and took off before anybody caught up with me. And uh, so I, I, I slowed down after that. But so often what I have found in my experience with mountains, I like to do, I like to do biking, and, and, and there are places around here with nice hills, but I crash a lot. I'm always coming down. I'm always going too fast. I'm, I'm not paying, paying attention. And I crash. And I've been thinking about the series that, that Pastor's been on. He's looking at these mountaintop experiences. And, and um, spiritually speaking, we're looking for these moments where we feel our connection with God in, in real tangible ways and ways that we haven't experienced. We want to experience Him. We want to experience His presence. We want to know Him more. And, and, and we run after those. Right now, my kids are at their first weekend at, at uh, camp. And my prayer for them is that they would have that mountaintop experience while they're at camp. I want them to experience God with other people. I want them to experience the worship of, of his saints. I want them to connect with God in a way that they haven't. Because, you know, as a parent, I feel like, hey, you got to do this more. you got to read your Bible more. And they just hear want, 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 want. I'm, I'm, I know that's what they hear. And I was thinking about maybe one of my mountaintop experiences. So this morning, we're really just, I'm going to tell you a couple stories, and then we're going to see if we can learn anything. A story from my life and a, and a story from the Bible. But I remember I was, I, was at, it was at, I was out of high school, and I was a camp counselor. I loved camp. I still love camp. Um, I became a Christian at camp, and uh, seeing God do amazing things with retreats, getting us away from, from, from the normal every day. So this year, I, years ago, I'm, I'm a camp counselor, and the, uh, the preacher, he brought us all in, um, the, the, the counselors before, before session, and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm sharing the gospel tonight with these kids. I want you to be praying. I want you to be, be ready for that. And, uh, and so it was my turn for my, me and my group to sit up front, okay, because they rotate it because all the kids want to sit up front, and we do worship and everything. And the pastor, he's up there, and he's doing his thing, and he, he's bringing it. And he sets up this courtroom drama where, and he brings me up as the, as the guinea pig, right? And he says, Chris, as you have been found guilty, and he rattles off, you know, a bunch of sins, of which we're all guilty of. And he says, how do you plead? And I say, I plead guilty. Um, and something started going in my heart. I started, I started feeling that. I was a believer at the time, but I started, I started feeling the, the, what a reprobate I was. And, and in this courtroom drama, him as God, he says, Therefore I sentence you to, to eternal death and hell and damnation. And he says, and, and, and just as that gavel was coming down to seal my fate, the back door opens and in runs Jesus. And he says, no, wait, I will take his punishment for him. And I'm standing there now and I'm, came to this new realization of, of what 
God had done for me and who he was. And in that moment, in a way that I, I have never felt uh, before or since, I felt so unworthy to be in God's presence and so small and terrified that I literally wanted to crawl under, like I wanted to crawl under my seat and hide. I wanted to hide from the presence of God. I was so terrified in that moment as I understood how far from what he had called me to be I was. And as the pastor is describing how the blood of Christ covers me and doesn't just cover, it takes away my sins so that before God I stand as righteous, as righteous as Jesus, and I'm, I'm falling apart. And the, and the speaker sees that, and he's like, all right, you can go sit down, everybody, blah, blah, blah. And, and as I sat down, as I worked through those, those emotions, and I was, I, I was shaking, and I, it's like I had the chills. And I remember, too, there was this storm happening outside. You know, it was, it was like this is what you want in the movies when, when emotional things happen. You want st- storms and thunder and lightning. And, and as, I, as the lightning and thunder was going outside, that was happening in, inside my heart, inside my soul, as I recognized how unworthy I was in that, same, in that same moment, in that same emotion, I felt gratitude. And I felt worthiness through Jesus. And I was just overwhelmed with gratitude and thankfulness. And, and, and I praise God for that moment because I think through Scripture and through the preaching of the Word... And through hearing it and communing with God, he gave me this amazing mountaintop experience. And that's something I go to often. And when somebody asks for my testimony, I will tell them that. So it was a powerful moment for me of the realization of God to experience him in a real tangible way. And and as I think about my kids, I pray that for them now. And I pray that for you in your life, that you will not only experience God cerebrally, but you'll experience him um, in your heart, like we experience one another. But after these mountaintop experiences come come the valleys, because as a kid, then I was off to college, and I'm surrounded by people that, that don't share my faith, and, and I'm surrounded by a world that that wants me to sin, and... And then your walk, does it, do you ever feel like you're kind of bored with your walk? Do you ever feel your walk with God? Do you ever feel like, man, I'm just, it's the same old every day. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm tired. And, and I, I want those experiences again. I want to feel it. I want to feel the rush. And, and, it, and, it, and sometimes you just feel like you live, you're living in, in, in the wreckage of, of life. Because you come down off that valley and you're making mistakes and you're not always doing what God wants and you're surrounded by, by sin and it seems like the world is out to get you. So Elijah, my, ex- my, uh, my mountaintop experiences are not as extreme as Elijah's. And this is one of the best stories in the Bible, I think. If, if you want a good read, you, you get into like uh, uh, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Samuel. They read like a good story, and you can see the movie. You're like, why aren't they making a movie of this? Because this is fantastic. 
But Elijah was a prophet. And this was in the time when the, the, the Israel had split. And there's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And he's a prophet in the northern kingdom. And what you learn about all the kings in the northern kingdom is they're bad. They're not good kings. I don't know if there's a one of them that, that even tries to, to seek the Lord. And they keep getting worse and worse and worse. And then the Bible says, and then the worst one comes along, and his name is Ahab. And Ahab is horrible. And then he marries um, a woman who brings in another religion into, into the kingdom, the, the worship of Baal, which is spelled B-A-A-L. Um, and... They're so adamant about worshiping Baal that they start wiping out uh, the prophets of the Most High God. They start, start killing them. Okay? And Elijah comes along and says, all right, if you're not going to follow God, there's going to be drought. There's going to be drought for a long time, and there will be drought until I say there isn't drought. Because God has empowered Elijah. Uh, Elijah is, is one of those people in the Bible uh, that had a, a connection with God unlike any other. If you remember, just a few weeks ago, talked about the, uh, the, on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus goes up and he reveals himself uh, to some of his disciples. And who's with him? It's Moses and this guy, Elijah. In fact, there's one other person in the Bible that raised somebody from the dead besides Jesus, and it's this guy. It's Elijah. So he has a lot of connection and, and, and power uh, through God. And we see it displayed in this story. So, obviously, Elijah is not, he's not a well-liked guy. So there's a, a drought for three years. The drought leads to famine. Things are not going well. And Elijah, he presents himself to the king. Okay, And what happens is there's this the showdown. Because he says, the people of Israel have been following after the false god Baal for too long. It's time for it to stop. So he sets up this showdown on top of Mount Carmel. And the contest goes like this. All right, we're both going to set up altars for our gods. And we're going to sacrifice, we're each going to sacrifice a bull on these altars. And whichever God sends down fire from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, that's the God we go with. Okay? And so this story, it reads wonderfully. And what happens is, the prophets, he says, you guys go first. You four, there's 400 prophets of Baal. Okay? 400 of them. And they set up their altar and they kill the bull and they put it on the altar. And then they start crying out to Baal. And it says that they start dancing around uh, the altar. And it says that it's not working. And they begin cutting themselves and, 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 and doing all of these, these things to try and coerce their God into burning up this altar and this, this, this sacrifice. And it says that the prophets of Baal, I'm reading out of chapter 18 of 1 Kings, it says the prophets of Baal from morning till noon cried out to Baal, but there was no response. No answer. No one answered, it says. And they danced around the altar they had made. And, and I love this part. It says, at noon, Elijah, 
began to taunt them. He says, shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or, or busy or traveling. So I, I, I love that God's man is a total smart aleck. I, I just love that. It says, maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So, so Elijah's over here in the corner just, just hurling shots at these guys, right? So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom. It says, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. No one paid attention. So it's Elijah's turn. And he says, all right, go get four jars of water and pour it on my sacrifice, okay? So it's drought too, remember? And they're on a mountain, so this is a thing. And so they get water and they douse the, douse the altar that he has made. And they douse the bowl and he makes trenches around it. And he says, go, get more water. Do it again. And then he says, go get more water. So this is now, this thing is completely drenched. And it says this in verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command, answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. It says, then fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people that were there saw this, they says they fell to the ground and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commands him to seize that 400 prophets. And they take them down to the valley and they kill them all. Which that's a good thing in the story. Then Elijah tells, he goes to King Ahab and says, hey, Ahab, uh, you might want to go and get some food and drink because there's heavy rain coming. It's been a drought for three years. And long story short, Isaiah, or Isaiah, Elijah goes up higher up Mount Carmel and watches and waits, him and his servant. And he keeps sending his servant to look. Have you seen a cloud yet? No, have you seen a cloud yet? And he has him do this seven times, and finally he's like, there's a cloud rising up out of the sea that's about the size of a man's hand. And he says, that's it. Get in your chariot and run and tell the king. So a servant hitches up his chariot and he takes off down the mountain to tell Ahab. And then it says that Elijah, empowered by God, turns into the flash and outruns this chariot down to the king. So Elijah's having a real good day. He's having a really good day. He's calling down fire from heaven. He's ending droughts, and he's the flash. All on the same day. This guy is connected with God. 
He's connecting with, uh, with God in a way that, that, that I can't possibly imagine. And then the next chapter begins, and Jezebel, Ahab's wife, says, I don't want another day to go by before I make Elijah like the prophets of Baal. So she puts a hit out on him. And he sends, she sa- actually sends a letter to him, and I don't understand how that works. She sends a letter to him to kind of scare him and say, hey, I'm coming for you. And so Elijah, he's scared. He's terrified. And on one sense, I'm like, okay, somebody puts a hit out on you. That's a little terrifying. But you did just call down fire from heaven. So he runs into the wilderness. So this is Elijah. Now he's, he's between these two mountain experiences. He's, he's, uh, he's uh, Elijah's twin peak, so to speak. We have Mount Carmel on one, and we're on our way to Mount Horeb. So he runs away, and he, he runs to, they call it a broom bush. He says he goes, and he curls up under this broom bush. And let me read what he says. It says, he came, this is in chapter 19, he says, he came to a, a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I quote, I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down. And he fell asleep. Elijah's mountaintop experience is over. He is now, you might say, suicidal. He's done. He's done with life. He's so filled with fear. Maybe he's filled with this emptiness because... All of these amazing great things had just happened and he's seen God do miraculous things and then nothing. Maybe he feels empty and lonely. Elijah is coming down from his mountaintop experience hard. It's like it's that Monday after a really good vacation, but maybe a little worse for Elijah. But what I love is when he wakes up, there's an angel there. And there's a, there's, it says that there's bread baked in coal. So it's, it's, the, so this angel apparently set up a little oven out here with coal and baked him bread and got him water and, and took care of him. And he's taking care of him because he's about to, Elijah's about to go on this journey. So it says that he goes on a journey for 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness to Mount Horeb. And maybe you're like, hey, wait, we've talked about Mount Horeb. It's also called Mount Sinai. You're like, wait, I, I know this one. This is a special place. This is a special mountain. This is where. Moses received the Ten Commandments and the law. This is where later on, I think it's in like Exodus 30 or 31, where God, where Moses goes to God, he says, show me yourself, reveal yourself to me. And, and God says, okay, but you can't look 
fully on me because I'm too awesome, pretty much. And he, so he hides Moses in the cleft of this, of this rock on Mount Horeb, and, and God passes over him, the Lord passes over him, and he's able to look at his backside, okay? That's how that story goes in, in, in Exodus. And I want to say it's 30, 31, somewhere around there. So this is a special, special place that Elijah's going to. And I ask myself, why is God, or why is Elijah going to this other mountain? And, and I want to say he's going there for some, for some right reasons. He feels disconnected from God. He feels alone. He wants to give up. He's, he's done. He's done. He's done with life. He's done with his mission. He's done with his purpose. So he's going to God, and he's like, I don't feel God here, but maybe I'll feel him in that place where I know God has showed up before. So he goes there and he hides in this cave. Okay, He goes to this cave. And many people believe this cave is the same cleft of rock that, that Moses hid in as, as God revealed himself to him. And I don't know if that changes anything, but I think it's a neat, it's a neat idea to think about. And while he's there and he's in this cave, the word of the Lord comes to him. And this is what God says to him. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> what are you doing here? And Elijah says, he basically unloads on, on him. He says, I've been zealous for you, Lord, the Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. He's upset. Everything's falling apart, God. These are your people. This is your nation. And they're running after false gods. And, there's, and they're killing off all the prophets. And I'm it. I'm the only one left. He feels alone. And he feels scared. I tell you what, I think God is really kind to Elijah in this moment. Because there are other times when these kind of questions are asked of God, and, and God will say, well, where were you when I created the cattle on a thousand hills? And doesn't give him much of an answer at all. <laughs> the Lord said, he says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. So on Mount Carmel... When he hears from God, it's like, awesome, fire from heaven, yeah. And now he's on this other mountain, and I, he's looking out, at the, out of his cave at this, this tumult and storms and fire, and sounds like California. 
And God isn't in any of those awesome, mighty, terrifying things. He's quiet. And you know what the voice says? What are you doing here, Elijah? Just what are you doing here? And he says the same thing he said before. He's like, the people are, have rejected your covenant, and, and they've torn down your altars, and they put all the prophets to death by the sword, and I'm the only one left. He, he's, he's hurting. He's scared. And the Lord says to him, go back the way you came. He says, go back to where you were. He says, I've got work for you to do. He says, I want you to anoint this guy over here, king over Aram. And I want you to to anoint a new king over Israel, Jehu. I want you to anoint him. And I've got your successor picked out for you. I've got your successor prophet picked out for you. And I want you to go anoint Elisha. And he says, I know you think you're alone, but there are 7,000 Israelites who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And Elijah has already forgotten some facts in the previous chapter because he runs into into, uh, the the, the servant of, of the king named Obadiah. And Obadiah has been hiding prophets from the king. He's like, I've got 50 prophets in this cave, and I'm feeding them, and I've got 50 prophets in this cave. Because I'm trying to protect him and save him. And Elijah has completely forgotten that. So how do we live? How do we live between the mountains? How do we live between these awesome experiences that we have with God? And I, and I had recounted to you before that, that experience, um, which was a long time ago. And there, there, have, there have been others, but that one was when I'm like, you know what? I'm, no matter what I'm doing in life, I'm serving you in the, in the church, through the church, for the rest of my life. And there's, I have no choice in the matter anymore. I've committed to do that with God. So living between the mountains. God didn't show up for Elijah on that second mountain in in, in a spectacular way. He came softly, quiet, ignominiously. The things he felt were real. the, 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 The emotions and the anguish that Elijah felt were real. But... We can't let our, our feelings be the foundation of what we know is true. And I think we are so quick to do that as a society. We let our, our feelings and our emo- emotions override our faith and the things we know that are true. And when we feel disconnected from God... When we feel isolated from him, what do we do? We, we isolate ourselves even more. So I'm not feeling the thing with God. Well, So I'm going to stop fellowshipping with other believers. Uh, I'm going to stop going to church because I'm, I'm just not feeling it. And, and we take that disconnection we feel and we, we grow it. 
Maybe you find your, your walk with God is, is manic. And, and you're, you're going gung-ho for God and you're in the word and you're in prayer and you're in church. And then something happens and you can't handle it. And you blame God. And so you just say, I'm, I'm done with all of it. And then those emotions work through and you're back and you're back and, 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 you're, and you're back and forth. Or, or maybe you're going from church to church and you're looking for that, that buzz. You're looking for that, that hit that you get from these, these experiences. What's God's answer? What's God's answer to Elijah? He says, what are you doing here? Go back. I've got work for you to do. You're, you've got things to do. And I think God's answer is, stop chasing that, that fix. Stop chasing the mountaintop. Seek him where you are. He's ready to meet with you where you are. He has a purpose for you where you are. He's doing things through you. He tells Elijah, get back in the game. And I don't think Elijah was wrong to express his, his heart to God. I think God wants, wants us to do that. And God encourages him and gives him comfort and feeds him and takes care of him. And he feeds his soul as well. And he reminds him and he gives him perspective. Ask God to show you what he's doing around you and in you and through you. Ask him to help you see what he's already doing. Ask him for perspective. Ask him for awareness. And I believe that that awareness can only come from, from him. What are the opportunities you have given me right here and right now to further your kingdom, to glorify your name, to serve you, to be a part of what you're doing. Ask God to help you see. What in your life makes you feel far from God? Often it's as simple as sin. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask him for victory in those areas. Is it your situation, your circumstances that make you feel far from God? Ask God for that heavenly perspective. Ask him for that, pe that perspective that you only get when you're on the mountaintop and you can see far. And you get that glimpse of what's going on and what direction you're heading. But when you're living in the valley, you can't see. You just see the next tree and the next trail and the next whatever. Maybe you're not doing the work in the relationship, in your relationship with Jesus. This, this one, this is me. I've struggled with prayer. 
So what I did is I, as I'm writing this, I'm looking at this, I'm going, well, what are you doing? Where, where are you not doing the work in your relationship with Jesus, Chris? And it's in prayer. I struggle with it. I do. Um, you know, I'll start praying, dear, dear Jesus, squirrel. I mean, you know, I struggle. Uh, and, and so I needed some help. And, and I found this book. And it's just called Every Moment Holy. And I'm not endorsing a book. I'm not telling you to get this book. I'm just saying, if you've got an area in your spiritual walk with Jesus that needs work, find something to help you and find someone to help you. If you're in a small group or you have a close brother or sister, go to them and say, man, I'm, I'm just not reading my Bible. I don't know what to do or whatever. I'm reading Leviticus and I'm just like, what's going on? Ask for help. Ask someone. Ask pastor. So I got this book to help me pray because it's basically a book of prayers. And what's great is he has all kinds of prayers. It has morning prayers and evening prayers and prayers before you watch Netflix. And, and, and yeah, it's got all kinds of crazy things. I think maybe that prayer says, stop watching. But um, So this is a prayer that I read this morning because I needed some prayer this morning because I'm about to yak at you guys today. I just, I'm just going to read a part of it. It says, what have I to offer? Oh, this is the prayer. It's called uh, a liturgy before taking the stage. It says, what have I to offer here that might sustain the souls of others? Alone I have little more to show beneath this scrutiny of lights than my own pride and insecurity, my craving for praise, and my fear of rejection. Rather, let me offer something greater in this place, O oh Christ. As I step onto this stage, meet me amidst the wreckage of my ego and my woundedness. And through me, give what I alone cannot. And that's beautiful. And that helps me pray. And that helps my heart talk to God and, and stay focused. Um, I don't know what it is for you. But we need to learn to live between the mountains. We need to learn to have a consistent relationship with God. Church is so integral to our lives, and, 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 and to me specifically, like I don't get not going to church, I don't get taking a break from church, because I need it. <laughs> I need to remember that I'm not alone in my walk. I need to remember that God is moving in you, and doing things in you, and I need to hear those stories. I need to sing. I love singing. I love singing to God. My prayer for you is that you would seek God where you are. You're going to have highs and lows. You're going to feel alone. You're going to feel afraid. You're going to feel like the walls are closing in on you. Which is why you need to teach yourself to go back to the word, to seek after Jesus. And we see, we see Elijah doing that in the story. He seeks after God. He's like, I feel alone. I feel like I want to die. I'm going to go find him. We don't have to go to Mount Horeb. We can go to his word. We can go to each other. We can go to him in prayer. Why don't you stand with me? Lord, I thank you so much for, um, for the story you've given me and how you've met with me and how you've been gracious to me. And I thank you for the story of Elijah and how you moved in him in miraculous ways. And then you comforted him and fed him. 
when he was alone and afraid. Lord, I ask that we would be a people, this church, who seek your face, who seek after you, who long to see what it is that you're doing in us and through us right now in this world. Help us to see, like Elijah, that you've got work for us to do and we need to get back in the game. We need to get back to what God is doing in our lives. In your name we pray. Thank you.